Welcome to the Procurement Show. Hello and welcome to the Procurement Show, the show that tackles the topics we all need to think about and sets out to explore the more interesting bits of procurement. I'm Jonathan O'Brien. And I'm Paul Philpot. I'm here to... Well, I'm just here, really. You're there just you go. Here. I'm just here. That's enough for us all. Thank you. So this week we're talking negotiation, and in procurement we come up against some formidable salespeople who have been really, really well trained, often much, much more than we in procurement have been trained. So we need to know how to hold our own. And I thought we could learn a lot from somebody who's been a frontline sales negotiator. So this week I've asked somebody who's got loads of experience at a very senior level. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organisations around the globe. He has over 30 years working in selling advertising and has run some agencies for some of the biggest names on the planet, including Ogilvy, TBWA, BBDO. And these days he works with us as part of Positive Purchasing and is one of our key instructors on our Red Sheet Negotiation Programme. And he once said to me, when I used to work in sales, we hated procurement. Oh, that's not so I thought, let's get him on the show. Not only let's get him on the show, let's get him here physically in the studio so we can physically attack him if yes, we need to. Yes, indeed. Please welcome to the procurement show, Marcus Evans. Uh, hello, gentlemen. You're uh, actually real. <laughs> yeah, if I do that... Yeah, and I can do that too. Does, do you feel that? Yeah, that's you know, procurement yeah. touching sales. Yeah, We're actually, reaching out. And I actually pinched him and also he didn't even flinch. Technically, <laughs> that's assault. Oh, that's... <laughs> so this is ended. how it's going to progress. Yeah, awful. So uh. set the scene for us, Marcus. As the head of an advertising agency, how much were you actually involved in sales? It was a huge part of my role. Not only was it a huge part of my role, but it was something I really enjoyed doing. And as you know, we always find it excuses to spend the most time you possibly can doing what we like to do. So I got involved in it very deeply. And the reason for that was if you look at the average tenure of a CMO or marketing director mm -hmm. these days, it's like 18 to 24 months. And a new CMO frequently means that there's an agency review or he likes to bring his new agency with him. So I reckon that the average lifespan of a client back in the day was about three years. Most agencies want to grow their business by 15 to 20% year on year, which means you need to replace a third of your client list each year and you want to grow by 20%. So basically, you're trying to replace 50% of your numbers on a year-by-year -year basis. So it's just one continual sales mm. process. It you're is, continually selling. It yeah. is a and new business machine. Remind us what a CMO is. Chief Marketing Officer. Chief Marketing yeah. Officer. Nice. Okay, Go into a bit of detail about the sales process for us. How does it work and how do companies in general go about choosing an agency to work with? Well, there are two ways primarily. One, they would do their own search and selection or secondly, they'd engage an agency, a marriage broker to do that for them. But after that, the process is very similar. There is what we used to call a credentials presentation round or as we affectionately knew it, the cattle call, where <laughs> they would select a, a bunch of agencies in a bovine way yeah. to come in and talk about what they do, what their areas of specialization are, and share a couple of as closely related case studies as possible. Mm -hmm. If you got through the credentials presentation stage, then you went usually to a pitch. This will generally be a one-stage pitch where you go in to do full pitch, strategy, creative, media, if that's what they want. And if you got through that, sometimes you would be appointed 
or sometimes there'd be another round which tended to be a creative or strategic shootout where they gave you a project, you gave them back some creative, or you ran a strategic presentation workshop for them. So that's a bit more than your average kind of procurement RFP. You know, it feels like it's a lot of work. How many people would be going in doing that pitching? Team of what? Face-to-face in the pitch, you'd probably have between eight and ten people. And they'd be working on that pitch leading up to that as well? Oh, no, back at the factory, you would probably have 20 to 30 people, depending on how long... If it's a pitch that was fully integrated, i.e. you had direct data work, digital above-the-line promotions, then it could be 20 or 30. And it all depends if you're in one country or a number of markets. If it was an international pitch, you could have 50, 60 people. In that situation, do you know how many other agencies you're up against? Sometimes you're told, but the world of agencies is like any other sort of industry village. After two days, yeah, you know everyone who's yeah. okay. <laughs> and I guess back in the day, you saw who was in the visitors book when you were ah, going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, a huge cost there. You know, doing a pitch, mm. massive cost. I wouldn't even like to begin to put a figure on it. How many times did you win? How did you recover those costs for the ones that you lost? Probably looking back over a long and checkered career, I would say my win rate was probably about two in three, maybe slightly less. But that was primarily because we chose very carefully who we were going to pitch for. We wouldn't just go out there and pitch for anything because we needed to ensure that, A, we had a likelihood of keeping the client for a reasonable period of time. Secondly, we had a likelihood of growing that client so we could actually get more business from them than we first won in the first place. And thirdly, it was the kind of client that, A, we wanted to work with B would allow us to do work that we could merchandise and be proud of. And I suppose you also don't want to fall into that trap of pitching because you've been invited to because they need to make up the numbers. No, you develop a very good nose for tyre kicking after a while. Mm. But back to your question about how would you mitigate the cost, you don't. It's the cost of doing business, it's written to your numbers and projections for the year and you just have to make sure that you keep the client for long enough to be able to get that cost back. But usually the first year of working with a client is the least profitable because you have to do an awful lot of work to embed yourself into the client, to work out how the client works get the real hang of their business, get the hang of their tone of voice, et cetera, et cetera. But the last year of doing business with a client, particularly the last six months, because generally you're on six months notice on a contract, the last six months is the most profitable because, as we used to like to say in the business, you charge like a wounded buffalo. (laughs) Nice, nice. I mean, you need to be fair on the industry in that once you've had a relationship that embedded, you get to know and understand the client's DNA and you do get raised that position of being trusted advisor and you're able to help a client develop rather than just sell to it, don't you? Absolutely. You have to earn that, but we put an awful lot of effort into the first six months of the business to try and ensure that we get ourselves into every echelon of the organisation that we possibly can. We try and be as influential as possible. That helps us in our efforts to business develop. There are actually two types of new business, two types of sales in the agency world. One is net new business, which is what we just discussed, where you go for the full-blown pitch. The second one is business development, where we concentrate on growing into a client and getting as many pieces of business, divisions, countries, regions, markets, products, as we possibly can. Because we used to work on what we call the octopus principle. Every new piece of business, every growth within that client is like an octopus putting a tentacle on its prey. And the more tentacles you have on the prey, the harder it is to get rid of us, the more they want to work with us and the more influential we are with their business, providing obviously that we're delivering and therefore you keep your client for longer. That's fascinating. And from the procurement side, you know, we call that the divide and conquer Mm, where mm. effectively the seller has got into every echelon of the organisation, established relationships 
relationships and almost kind of made procurement a little bit redundant because everybody else said, yeah, this is what we want. You know, let's just do it. Talk about organisations. Earlier on, Jonathan said that you hate procurement or yeah. you used to hate procurement. Yeah, you did say that. Is that true? That can't really be true. And if it is true, why? Well, look at me. I'm now moved over to the dark side. Uh, <laughs> Luke, I am your father. No. We used to hate... I'm waiting for the paternity suit to come back. I'm, I'm not admitting to anything. That's not strictly true. We used to hate bad procurement. And mm-hmm. bad procurement is ill-informed procurement. They just come in, sit down with you, and go through your costing proposal line by line with no understanding of how it adds value to the business. Mm. Because usually the procurement team weren't involved in any stage of the pitch process, which could have been taking between three and six months to complete. We just got wheeled in front of them at the end. I don't know if you remember the original Raiders of the Lost Ark movie. Yes. Where the hero and heroine were captured. They were then to be interrogated. And this guy arrived, very scary looking guy in a leather coat, glasses and a hat came in and was going to interrogate them. And he took out something from his briefcase and it folded it out. And it looked like it could have been a whip or a flail or something. And it turned out to be a coat hanger that he hung his very nice leather coat on. It was like that. It's like being wheeled into a room and sort of the multi-headed Cerberus of procurement came in and tried to <laughs> yeah. margin munch its way through your proposal. So, yeah, there were some procurement teams that were clearly informed and knew where we added value and where was some more of a commodity area which could be discussed. But those that didn't, it just became a very dull exercise of trying to protect margin. And it's really interesting to hear you say that because I see a lot of bad procurement. I see a lot of good procurement as mm. well. And in there are some things that I kind of recognize perhaps as good and some things as really bad. So classic procurement sales scenario, you've got the seller pushing to build a relationship, also tentacles throughout the business, building those relationships to pick off procurement, outflank them as well. And procurement, ignoring all of that, focusing only on the number. So classic sort of scenario. That can be really bad procurement if procurement has failed to engage with their internal stakeholders, has failed to understand the requirement, and, you know, it's just driving the numbers. You know, that's not what good procurement's about. But what I would be teaching a procurement person to be doing in that situation is understand what makes up the agency spend, all the different components. You've got the media, you've got the creative bit, you've got some digital spend, you've got various channels you're spending money with, production time and so on. Those things, you can look at the cost of those, you can benchmark those components, and it gives you the ability to understand that overall contract and proposition, take it apart, check it, make it competitive, and then put it back together again in some sort of bundle, with the key thing being this kind of creative thing. You know, you go to an agency because there is some key creative talent that you want to work with there. You can't put a price on that. You want the person that did that ad campaign in the Super Bowl last Mm, year. You know, you want to spend that money. And that's good procurement. And what I'm hearing is, was that bad procurement or was it good procurement? What is the thing that makes it bad procurement from your perspective? And how did you overcome this? What made it bad procurement was that it was just so clear to us that people who may have been buying office furniture the day before and perhaps a new building fit out the day before that and perhaps some ingredients the day before that suddenly came in to try and buy a creative product and didn't really understand the value add. Yeah. So we were very happy and obviously we'd padded the numbers before we went into the room because no. you don't do that in sales do you? <laughs> Heaven for fend. But there were some things which we were happy to negotiate and some things that frankly there was no point in negotiating yeah. because the talent in planning strategy, really smooth account management 
management, the digital talent we had, the brilliant creatives, those were why the client had bought us in the first place. And then trying to marginalise those by stripping away the costs was counterproductive. So yes, we would happily negotiate the more commodative junior roles, but when it came to the senior roles, there just wasn't any movement. It was a premium product. We pay a premium price to crazy creatives and we have to sell at a premium price or obviously they may be in the wrong shop. Did you ever have anyone try and commoditize the creative bit and put a value on it? Oh yeah. One of the best questions I was ever asked was how much is a creative director? Uh, <laughs> okay. So I counted with the same price as a car. Yeah, right. Because the price of a car could be a Mini, could mm. be a Ferrari, and we like to pride ourselves that we had Ferraris, although occasionally a client would try to attach a tow bar to it. And how long does it take you to generate an idea? Ever get asked Yes, that? we did. That was a great one. How long does it take to have an idea? Well, look, say it takes a day to have an idea. How much would that cost? <laughs> it's like, really? Yeah. It's like asking someone like Titian, how long does it take to paint a painting? We'll yeah. pay you a pound an hour for the Sistine Chapel, Mr. Da Vinci. So that is bad procurement. That is, is not what good, effective procurement's about. But it's also an awkward situation because, as you mentioned in your previous question, it's mm. very hard to put a value on creativity and it's very hard to sometimes justify that especially yeah. working for an agency myself you are always battling to argue for budget yeah good procurement procurement departments have to understand every aspect of the business they need to work in synergy with the business if they do it right they will communicate with the rest of the organization the procurement show exploring the more interesting bits about procurement and now the procurement fun fact this edition's exciting tale of preposterous procurement, bizarre buying, or simply saucy sourcing. Dubai spent 14 billion building the world. The world is a man-made archipelago that depicts the world with 300 islands laid out in the shape of the Earth's continent as a $14 billion icon visible from space to show that we are one united world which is the exact same amount that the Donald Trump administration spent building the never-completed US-Mexico border wall. Yeah. The Procurement Fun Fact. Contact us by email. Hello at theprocurementshow.com. Send us a tweet at Procurement Show or connect with us on LinkedIn. Search for The Procurement Show. In your experience... What sort of relationship do procurement departments have with marketing departments? And actually, what sort of relationship should they have? I think it worked on two levels. When the marketing department were buying commoditized product like packaging or maybe something that was a thing mm. and had a price, then they had a pretty good relationship, I think, because there was easy benchmarking to be done and they could really understand not necessarily the value, but they understood the price of everything. When it came to working with an agency where there's the value is not necessarily intangible because you can measure it at the end of the year by your gains in market share, etc., etc. So at one level, they worked quite well and quite closely. But when it came to an agency, our feeling was most of the time, and it was the majority of the time, there were some great examples of it, but mainly they were badly briefed and hadn't been involved in the process of selection down the line. They didn't really understand how the agency would add value and what would happen if they got a bad agency mm -hmm. or the agency got it wrong. We've yeah. discussed this before many times. Early engagement 
of the procurement department in the project, whatever yeah. the project is, yeah. is essential, isn't it? But it depends on the organisation being organised. So procurement is working together with the marketing function. If it's just wheeled in, having just done the negotiation mm. on ingredients and buying off his desk the day before, doesn't work because there's no cross-functional engagement. You've got to work cross-functionally and you've got to be all working towards the same objective of some new sort of value, which is not just cost-based typically. Mm. And you've got to be aligned on that, talking the same language. So when procurement is sat next to the marketing people and you're negotiating for an agency, everybody wants the same outcome from that discussion. If you haven't done that, if the organisation hasn't done that, it's not getting procurement right. Do you think this situation is getting better or worse? It's a mix of both. Some organisations, it's worse because the capability hasn't been maintained or developed and we work with a lot of organisations and we go in there and you know they're not even at 101 mm. level procurement, let alone strategic, let alone figuring out how to do this stuff. They ignore the fact that if you're buying something those categories of spend are the organisations categories so everybody needs to be involved if you're working with key important suppliers they are the organisation suppliers they don't belong to procurement it's those factors that mean you've got to work in concert you've got to be joined up to drive change and many organisations just think we'll bring in a procurement function and they'll just go and buy things differently. So I see a lot of that. But I also see a lot of organisations that are really leading the way in how you do that and driving it forward. So it's quite contrasted. I therefore want to ask both of you this question. When you go into an organisation and you work with them to improve their procurement strategy, processes, learning or whatever the case may be, do you sometimes find that the key problem doesn't lie with the procurement team, the function? It's part of a much bigger picture. It is. A communication breakdown, an organisational misstructure or something like that. And you end up fixing that. Yeah, really hard to fix it because people will bring my organisation in to say, hey, can you fix this? Let's put everyone on a training course. Let's buy one of your digital products and that'll be okay." Those things help, but you've got to change the organisation as well. You've got to have at executive level people recognising that procurement is a strategic contributor to business success and figuring out its supply side intervention that the business needs and then organising the business so functions can work together to achieve those outcomes. So many times the discussion is very departmentalised And despite what I will say to the clients that we work with, it's okay, we're not organised to do that. Let's just focus on procurement for now, which will get you so far, but it doesn't actually drive the change that we're talking about. But surely it's sometimes quite difficult to critique a business at that level. It is. And unless you get in front of the senior board and you say, look, this is what strategic procurement's about. Mm. It's not just the people that buy the pencils. Actually, it's about how procurement can contribute to your strategic goals. And most boards don't get that. I want to come back to the cost of pitching, which we've already established would be immense. Have you ever come up against situations where perhaps progressive procurement people have thought, look, there's a big cost there. We're obviously paying for that down the line somewhere. Let's figure out a way that if we can structure the right relationship with you, we benchmarked all the standard elements that we understand are in there, but we have a longer term relationship and we take out that need to pitch Can we then recover that in some improved value that we get from you? Has anyone ever been mature enough to think about that approach? The answer to that is yes, no, sort of. Okay. (laughs) So yes, sometimes a client would offer a fee to pitch. This would usually be roughly maybe 10% to perhaps 15%, 20% at most of the cost of the actual pitch. 
But that came with the caveat that whatever work you presented, whether you won or lost, would be the property of the company that was paying you to pitch. Right. Which means that if I'm pitching for a client in a certain vertical and I put together a killer pitch, which obviously I did every time, and I didn't get the business because the client just made bad decisions, then it would obviate me taking that work and peddling yeah. it to someone else in the other vertical. So seldom did we ever agree to that kind of thing. Yes, there were some enlightened companies that said, okay, well, how about we put together a, what we used to call a PBR, payment by results, for you, in that if we can put some measures in that you're directly in control of, or not always, but that's what we would insist, then we align your remuneration accordingly which allowed us some way to get that money back. But the main way that we were able to get the cash back to actually mitigate the costs of pitching was just to keep the client for the most possible time and develop our business within that client. That's how it had to be done. So nobody really gave us... Which that's is really interesting because that's an obvious, really good procurement way of doing that. Once you've mm. taken the contract apart and got behind it, you've made it transparent, you've structured it in a way, and that's the obvious thing. Take out the need to pitch every time mm -hmm. because you have standard rates for everything, because you've agreed what you're paying for the creative talent. I like what you said about payment by results. If you have had a situation where a project has gone so well you kind of think, damn, I really wish <laughs> that I said pay us by results yeah. and not on a basic quotation level. It's a really hard thing to do, though. It is. Yeah, well, basically, our PBR proposal usually had a range of measures, what we call hard measures, which is things like increase in market share, the increase with the performance of distribution, etc. All the things that you could actually increase in brand value, all the things that could be measured and mm. were primarily down to the work that we were doing in conjunction with the client. We also wanted some soft measures, which were, what's the experience of working with this life? Are we proactive? Do we come to you with ideas mm. all the time? Which is important in the longevity and also the quality of the relationship of the client. So we would ascribe measures to those. We were aiming at a 20% margin, or that's what we would admit to if you put a gun to our head. And we would say, okay, we'll put our entire margin on the table. If you scored us out of 15, if we scored a 10, then we would get our 20% margin. Mm -hmm. For everything we score above that, we get incremental margin. If we score below that, then there's a meeting. And then if we score below it twice, I presume we get fired. And a lot of clients had heart for that. They certainly had heart for it in the first year. But after the first year, when they had to pay 140% of what they were thinking of paying us in the first place, they became less enthusiastic because they got used to the fact that we were overperforming and it became an expectation. But, you know, we could then change the parameters within the PBR. But PBR always worked well for us. But you've got to be confident in your performance if you're going to offer it. And you've got to identify the quantifiable data points in order to evaluate that. Absolutely. So here's a scenario. When I negotiate with our clients, you have a round of negotiation about price, format, all the various deliverables. And then once you've agreed things, the lawyers get involved and suddenly we're negotiating other aspects that perhaps mm, you weren't yep. familiar with. Yep. You don't have a crystal ball. You can't see everything that's coming up around the corner. What are your experiences of that, I guess, the second round of negotiation, as it were, and within the context of marketing, for example, and when lawyers get involved, how did you overcome all those pitfalls? That could sometimes be the third round of negotiation. Oh, right. Because you have a round of negotiation with the marketing team, mm. and then you have the procurement Cerberus wheel now mm -hmm. for savage your ankles, <laughs> and then you go the lawyers. The lawyers then come out and depending on the size and complexity of the client and the contract that we were talking about, we would never ever go in single-handed.
responded to that. We would always take either our in-house counsel or our CFO, our finance director, or both. Mm -hmm. Because you can't enter the field of battle with a balloon on a stick when the lawyers have got (laughs) knives and guns. But you do get clients that want to move the goalposts but still have the same rules of the game. Absolutely. But the great thing was, primarily in all instances, the decision maker is usually the marketing director, CMO, brand manager, whoever owns the budget and owns Mm -hmm. the relationship with the agency. Seldom did the lawyer actually make a decision and seldom did procurement actually make a decision. They made recommendations, but they didn't make the decision. That's really interesting. Um, So what we used to say and what I learned probably about four years too late in my career, that you ask that, you say, excuse me, can I just clarify things here? What is the process that we're going through? Do you go through these and make your recommendations after this meeting or do you have the final say on what happens? Yeah. 90% of the time, it was, well, I make my recommendations on the meeting. I said, fantastic. Who do you make those recommendations mm. to? Oh, we make those recommendations to the CMO, to the CFO, whoever it is. I said, fantastic. Can we get them in here? So that's a key lesson in procurement, that when you are involved in a strategic project like this, you have to make sure that you are really firmly embedded within that decision-making process, not just to tell the mm. sales team, but so actually what you're doing has teeth. Otherwise, why are you there? Mm. But actually, it's a key lesson in sales, in yes. any kind of negotiation process, understanding who the stakeholders are, yep. identifying the key stakeholder, and actually not being afraid to ask those questions. Am yep. I dealing with the right person, or are you just Give me BS. Absolutely. So tell us about some of the common negotiation tactics that you came up against procurement people using on you and how did you get over them? Primarily, it was salami slicing all right. the time. So constantly through. just cutting yeah. off, you know, can I have this? Can I have that? Can I have the Line other? by line. Yeah. And then the wonderful question, how do you justify these costs? Right. How do you justify this amount? How do you justify this amount of money? The temptations was to say, look, I have an outrageous lifestyle support. <laughs> I have a wife who has a diamond habit. I need to make bonus this year. But you didn't say that, right? I so wanted to. Oh. Every fibre of my being wanted to. No, it came down to, if you want to deal with an organisation like ours, with the track record that we have, with the talent that we've got, then these are the prices. We occasionally, we would say, look, guys, you know, we can make this cheaper for you if you want to. That's not a problem. We'll just put in less experienced creative team for you. We'll downgrade your planners and strategists. And, you know, we can give you a more junior accounting. Yeah. mayhem will ensue Uh either that or you're in the wrong store if these prices really are too high maybe you should look at another agent and and i teach procurement people but i also sell because that's a lot of what i do these days and that's pretty much exactly the Mm. place that i've got to and i have come up against many situations where we're kind of putting the same pool with a lot of the lesser companies out there doing similar things and it's very simple look if you want us to do this that's how it is. I'm not going to put myself in the same place as everybody else because it's a very different thing. If you want it, great. If not, then, you know, there's plenty of other people that do. And it took me a long time to learn to be able to do that. But the lesson for procurement people there is if you try and push everything down to a single common denominator using an RFP process without understanding the potential innovation and value that's available on your terms, not the supplier's terms, then you miss a huge opportunity. So it's really important to be clear about the requirements that you want and who actually gives those to you, because otherwise you can end up with something that's suboptimum. It's time to ask Jonathan. 
And this week's Ask Jonathan is actually, I suppose this is going to be one for Marcus. So, what? welcome to Ask what? Marcus of them. H- hang, hang on a minute. The feature's called Ask Jonathan. That's fine. It's just Ask Marcus today. Uh, what, uh, it's, what, uh, I, shut up and listen, okay? All right, okay. okay. So, this Ask Marcus, okay, um, don't is. Like that. It's from Priya Sharma who says, Dear John. Oh, hang on a minute. Dear Jonathan. Cross it out. <laughs> Marcus. Dear Marcus. Don't cross it out quite so heavily. Okay. okay. (laughs) That's a light cross. I work in sales as a key account manager and I listen to the procurement show to get tips from the other side. Really interesting angle there. Mm -hmm. What would you say is the single most important thing I could do to gain an advantage, Marcus? I would say try and understand where the value is that you're negotiating with. What value do the other side bring? And are they likely to be wanting to leave with? What does good look like for them? How close can you get them to it? And what in return can you get the good looks like for you? Don't think that you're going to go in there and just take everything. Give something a little bit back. Brilliant. Okay. And just so you don't feel left out, Jonathan, do you <laughs> echo that or do you want to add to it? All I do. That, I mean, that's perfect. Understand the value. Because if you've got a salesperson that's trying to understand the value, if as a procurement person, you cannot articulate what your requirements are, what you need and want from it, then, you know, what are you doing in the room? You've got to understand that. You've got to be able to answer that question. Marvellous. And, of course, our next episode would be back to Ask Jonathan. Thank you. And if you have a question, here's how to get in touch. Ask Jonathan. Email your question to jonathan at theprocurementshow.com. You might be part of the next show. The Procurement Show. The latest thinking, the greatest insights. How good would you say the procurement function is at negotiating? Do they need to learn more? Do they need to get more involved in negotiating? And how did you actually win them over? It really all depends what their objective is. If they're there to reduce price, they're Mm. quite good at it. If they're there to drive up value, if they're there with a value creation strategy, then they're lousy at it. Because never did I leave a meeting with procurement with more than I walked in with, ever. Never was there an opportunity for, you know, and of course, we've got another product or we've got another region or we've got another, you know, that was never floated. All it was was salami slicing all the way through. What I didn't get was that the picture in the head of procurement in terms of what good looked like was the same picture in the head of marketing in terms of what good looked like. And if there was a half hour meeting between the two prior to us going in there where they really got aligned on what, look, guys, this is what we really want to get out of this. This is how we want the structure of the agreement. And more importantly, this is how we want the agency to feel when they walk out of there. Because an agency is an emotional beast. Mm-hmm. I had three attributes as an agency. I had a building, I had computers, and I had people. Everyone's got a building and computers. What made us brilliant, wonderful, and fantastic was the people that we had and how we managed them and how we created the right atmosphere, environment, and culture for them to excel. And if you leave having had a lousy meeting with a client, thinking that, you know, God, there goes my bonus, you know, do you go down and spend that extra couple of hours? Do you work on it over the weekend? Do you sit there on your beanbag having the most amazing ideas as a creative? No, you don't. This kind of touches on something that I know you've mentioned before, Jonathan, in that maybe it's a situation that procurement doesn't always understand its function. It's not always there just to reduce cost. That's very correct. And yes, it is about procurement not understanding its function. 
but it's about procurement not being clear about the requirements and the objectives for a particular category of spend. And if it hasn't done that, it hasn't engaged with the business. If we translate that into a negotiation, I train a lot of procurement people how to negotiate. I train a lot of salespeople how to negotiate with procurement mm-hmm. people. And I see some absolutely brilliant negotiators on both sides. And I see other negotiators that don't get it. And there's this thing I see in procurement where unless they've had some good training, good experience, it's almost like I'm in procurement. So negotiation means my job is to beat up the supplier and just try and get the price down. And it's almost like that's kind of programmed into the DNA because everybody else does it. That's not good. That's not how it is. Good negotiation is about understanding what is the objective. Do I need to claim as much value as I can? And sometimes you do in procurement. If it's a straight leverage category, then it's about I've got choice in the market. I just need to get the most that I can out of this because I can have the same generic non-differentiated product from 100 other suppliers. Or is this a scenario where I need a relationship because we need creative talent, we need to work together? Our competitive advantage depends on how good this agency performs with us, in which case we're seeking to create value together. Key to this is understanding, are you claiming or creating value and therefore what sort of relationship? And you can't begin to negotiate until you've framed it with the answer to those questions because how you approach the negotiation is very different in each case. And it sounds, Marcus, like actually you've come up against a whole bunch of procurement people that are just i want to claim as much value from you as i can are we buying creative stuff or what does that mean i don't know you know that's what it sounds like that's not good procurement they need to come on one of our courses absolutely everyone does and i've got to say if i had done a red sheet course before i got into <laughs> negotiate with procurement yeah. i'd have a bigger house quite frankly because mm-hmm. i'd have done a better job but there you go i want to go back up on a question that i asked earlier and you touched on it many times about the creative aspects of something mm-hmm. when you did negotiate with procurement how did you quantify the unquantifiable licensing mm-hmm. is a good yeah. example so in our media production industry you have a voiceover artist yeah. they read a script they get paid an hour studio fee and then depending on where that piece of audio is being used normally they get paid more they mm-hmm. get paid royalties yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that whole concept just lands on deaf yeah. ears because yeah. they don't pay, understand the they value. They don't right? understand. We've paid yeah. for your hour, yeah, for the studio. Yeah. We've paid for the production. Brilliant. We're now going to put it everywhere. Yeah, we have that with our digital tools. You know, oh, it's digital. It's online. It's free, isn't it? No, there's the years of intellectual property that give you an advantage here. Yeah. So you've both faced this kind of situation. Yeah. How do you both? argue your point creative is only really the embodiment of the strategy so don't leave the planners out of this it's the understanding of the target market it's the understanding of the consumer it's the understanding of the emotional people don't do things because they think they want to people do things because they feel they want to so how do we engage with the consumer to make sure that they feel like doing what we're asking them to do and how do we make them feel that way so it's the strategists that understand the market that understand the human beings and their psychological motivations then it's the creatives that then embody that in the right kind of communication in which to do that. What we used to do was just to show case studies of what we've done. Very simple, two to three minute cases. Here was the challenge. This is what we did. This was the result. This is the creative. We showed two or three of those. And by the time we've finished, you're salivating so much that you want this kind of wonderfulness and magic to be running throughout your brands and your company and have your consumers eating out of the palm of your hand in the way that these clients of our previous campaigns have done. Yeah. And for me, it's about how does this fix a problem, solve a problem, or how is this going to make you great? Here's a thing that actually you have a problem. This is the solution to the problem. And here is how we've done this before 
and here's the pedigree that goes with it. Or here's a thing that will actually bring you competitive advantage, brand advantage, social value in the public sector, and so on. And here's how we've done it before. So it's about showing that thing, because actually when we talk about licensing, digital and products like that, people don't get it. It's a thing they can't see or hold, so why does it have value? We've seen the same thing in the music industry with once upon a time you'd buy a physical piece of media to play something. Now it's a file and it's been devalued within that process. And it's just part of recognizing that value has a different thing. So companies protect that value by not letting you have it unless you're signed up in some way. And of course, we do that too. But you've got to then show how this thing will add value. And once people get it and try it, think, oh, yeah, I get the value. I want this. But it's a very different sell. And from a procurement perspective, you've got to have procurement people that understand what you're buying. It comes back to the business requirements. What is the value the business needs to get from this? What does the business need? What does the business want from this intangible thing that I can't physically hold? And once you've got that clear, you're able to buy properly. We're nearing the end of our time together. And I have one more question that I want to ask you. And that is, do you have an example of where you've won a negotiation over procurement? What's the best example you've got? We had been in a lengthy meeting where the procurement team had been going through line by line by line by line of our proposal and shaving, chipping, whittling away, or margin munching, as we approximately called it. And we got to the end, and they said, OK, well, look, we're not entirely happy about that. Can we start again? And they went back to the top of the list and started to try and margin munch all the way through again. I don't yeah. know whether this was their standard procedure, but I'd been there. It was an hour of my life I'd never get back, and I'd had enough. So I basically asked the question, which is why I mentioned it earlier in our discussion. Can you just run through the process here? What is happening? What is happening at the end of this meeting? Are you making a recommendation as far as costs are concerned? Or do you have the decision on us, whether we are appointed or not appointed, based on the costs here? It turns out that they were due to make a recommendation. I said, OK, who is the person who's going to be making the decision? It was the CMO who had told us that we'd won the business because we'd won the pitch. I said, that's fantastic. Well, I'm not really seeing that we are adding any value to this process here. Can you get your CMO here? Can we get him down? And then we can maybe speed things up. There was much looking at each other. And then the telephone call was made 10 minutes later. He arrived. We went into the room. There was a discussion. There were two or three more lines of salami slicing, margin munching. And the CMO said, sorry, General, can we stop a second? And they turned to us and said, can you give us the room for a minute? We went out and sat in reception for a quarter of an hour. We went back in and then we noticed that in our line there was a whole load of writing on the cost proposal and the leader of the procurement team cleared his throat and said, <clears throat> actually, there's only three or four things we now need to discuss. Can you move on to this, this, that and that? And the CMO looked at us, smiled and said, I think I can leave you boys to sort this out now <laughs> and left the room. That's bad procurement. That That's was... not how you do it. I love your catchphrases. Oh, Lord. Margin munching, salami slicing. I just want yep. to say other things to munch and slice on are available, of course. <laughs> just um, <for> balance. <laughs> any more? There's a book coming out. Is there? No, yeah. 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 No, you're not allowed to do that because you'll be competing against sustainable procurement. Available from all, all good booksellers now. And indeed, a lot of and the bad online. ones too. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, then. You mentioned salami. I quite like salami. Mm, yep. Have it on a pizza. One of my takeaways. What are your three takeaways? Okay, I mentioned before, 
if you can ensure that everyone in the room has the same picture in their head of what good looks like, if everyone's aligned around what we're trying to achieve. As an agency, I spent so much time ensuring that everyone was aligned, engaged, empowered, and basically get out of the way to let them do it. And if people did that, if the marketing team spoke with the procurement team and said, okay, guys, good looks like this, and this is where we want to be at the end of this meeting, I want to achieve this, I want people to leave feeling like this. That would be one, my biggest takeaway. Secondly, get the procurement guys a bit involved. For example, we would be more than delighted to rerun our credentials presentation, which is usually 20 minutes to half an hour for them. Or we'd be very happy to give them an agency to. I don't think ever I had a meeting with procurement at our offices. But I'd be very happy to do a 20-minute agency tour to give them an idea of what happens where, quite how big a machine they are buying into Mm. and what happens. We could share some case studies with them that shows the value that we build. So a little bit of time investment with the procurement team would be much appreciated so they'd have a better idea what it is that they're negotiating for. And the last one, which I think is one very simple to do, which could make a huge difference, in the meeting with procurement, when you've got your agency in there and you've basically given them the death of a thousand cuts and they're bleeding from many surface wounds. If you make the last question when you say, okay, guys, thanks ever so much. We really appreciate that. And we'll get you down to medical and dress that for you. (laughs) Make the last question or make the last comment. So, guys, what else could you bring to the party? What else could you give us? And let the agency leave with, ooh, there could be something else on the table for this. You've already taken our bonus away. Maybe there's a chance of winning it back over the next 12 months. So just leave some little gem on the table so they feel there might have been a win or there may be a win sometime down the line. If you learn nothing else from this wonderful conversation, you take that away, then I've done my job. My work here is done. Ah, nice. Marcus Evans, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the Procurement Show today. And do you still hate procurement? I've just got to check. Only bad procurement. Okay, I like that. And obviously no one that's ever been on one of your courses, Jonathan, will ever be bad at procurement. That's the right thing to say. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you. You're welcome. You've been listening to The Procurement Show. Contact us by email, hello at theprocurementshow.com. Connect with us on LinkedIn, search for The Procurement Show, and on Twitter at Procurement Show. Visit us at theprocurementshow.com. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organizations around the globe. Copyright Positive Purchasing. All rights reserved. Produced by Fresh Air Studios.